Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I want winners. I want people that want to win. All right, welcome to We Want Winners post-Monday Night Football 49ers and Vikings uh 49ers uh, did not did not disprove the haters who who were running wild all week after they lost last week they kind of leaned into some of the the bad feedback for a, a little bit but we're going to talk about the whole game the bad the uh i guess there there were a few good things cmc continues to be just an absolute game breaker um but first i want to do one shout out before we get started so, Rod, this is a testament of uh, me getting old here, which is I had injections into my knees today because I have arthritis in my knees, and I'm eventually going to have to get both of them replaced. But we're put with uh, Doc Matal, who uh, I saw this week and last week, and he is a 49er fan. I told him about our feed, so just in case... He decided to check in on, on our audio, though, if he did not, being a 49er fan and after watching this game, I would not blame him, but just wanted to shout out Dr. Matal. We're trying to get my knees back in shape, so we're both on the same page there. And I have to start really with an apology, because last week, uh, one of our uh, one of our listeners who, who chimes in uh, on the YouTube stream, Davis a.k.a. Drip, who was at the game in Minnesota, he said, I'm not afraid of Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is not someone who will beat the Niners. And I kind of made a joke about it, and I was like, yep, you're right. Not scared of Kirk either. We got to put some respect on Kirk's name tonight because, dang, he was good. He was tearing (laughs) up that entire defense today. Uh, You're talking about a a take that didn't. Didn't age well. <laughs> no way. And, and here we were saying, like, we're like, we're like, no, we have our Kirk Cousins. We got in Brock, and he outplayed Brock, uh, especially in that fourth quarter. Uh, but and uh, wasn't he something like two and ten on prime prime game? So yeah, he um he saved it all. Up and yeah, I I did some. You know, I, I, I do the uh, midweek or now it's sort of like a preview now, the, the, the little mini episode that I put in the podcast feed where I just kind of go over the injuries and stuff. And I was doing my research and looking at like the Vikings writers. They were so down on this team. They were just like, you know, without Jefferson and they're kind of disappointing here and there. And, you know, O'Connell's supposed to be this uh, offensive wizard and they're not really doing much and they barely beat the Bears who didn't even have Justin Fields. It was kind of like a setup. And I was like, man, you know, I think this game is going to be a lot closer than even the Vikings writers think. And I, I wasn't going to pick against the Niners. The Niners are clearly more talented, but 
they had a great game plan offensively. And we're going to, this is kind of where I want to start because I'm really interested in, in your feedback here. My, if I was to kind of summarize this game, if I was to, to come up with a, uh, you know, my, my pitch about why the 49ers lost this game in the fashion that they did, I would say they are way more reliant on the front four to dominate than I actually realized because the front mm. four today mm. were dominated. Uh, uh, Randy Gregory came the closest to getting a sack and uh, should have been an intentional grounding of some sort. But other than that, you know, there was a couple of close situations, especially late. They kind of sandwiched him and he still got the ball off. But because that front four was being dominated like they were, Wilkes was trying to blitz to create some sort of pressure to maybe create some chaos. And it came back to bite them at the end of the first half. And I'm still unsure why he blitzed here. Again, want to get your feedback. But they're, uh, they, you know, they, they, they finally score. It's 10-7. Um, they're about to go into halftime. And Minnesota has something like 16 seconds left. The Niners blitz. Mooney Ward looks like he's got an interception again. He's playing tug of war with the football with with uh, Addison, and Addison just pulls it away from him and scores to end the first half. And my instinct was, what the hell was Wilkes doing blitzing there? They just kind of needed to kill the clock. And then I sort of realized, like, oh. He, did, he didn't want to be – their defense didn't want to be down two scores. They didn't even want to give up the field goal. And so they were being a little aggressive, but it's, it's because they didn't trust the pass rush without having to blitz, and they just kind of got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. What was your feeling about kind of the, the – how did this game get away for the Niners? 100%. You know, I was – going back and forth with our constituency <laughs> on Facebook during the game. <laughs> and everybody is, you know, they're talking about Wilkes and, you know, how the game he's calling when perfect case in point is like you just said, um, we, he decides to blitz instead of playing coverage um at the end of the second quarter well why does he do that well if you look at the third quarter how was playing coverage working out cuz we could not we could not get any pressure at all with the yeah. front four so i mean he just picked his poison i thought and he tried to be aggressive and you know he's a a Mooney Ward making a play to having it work out. Um, yeah. We could talk about, um, we could talk about the blitzers not getting home. I thought to me, the, the game was won on the lines of scrimmage and mm-hmm. we just got worked on both sides of the ball. Um, I think, we talk about, you know, there's a there's a narrative going around 49er land that we're 
oh, you know, overworking CMC. I don't see how you take him off the field. Do you really <laughs> believe that those other dudes are um, are are um, equivalent to him as a player? He's the best running back in the league, and quite possibly our best offensive player. No disrespect to um, Brandon Ayuk, but um, I just don't see how you take him off the field. I mean, yeah. you, it, he is just, he is such a um, difference maker that, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't think that that is um, the narratives. I mean, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous to me how all of a sudden now that, you know, two games, we go on a two game losing streak. Now all of a sudden, Wilkes being in the booth is a big problem. Like um, um, Kukurik and Johnny Holland, they they were fine the first five weeks running the <laughs> sideline, but now all of a sudden, you know, this is this is a big huge problem. Um, again, we got a firsthand witness of what happens when Trent Williams is not on the field. It it really yeah makes a difference. He cleans up a lot of you know he puts deodorant on a lot of that stuff and you know what was was interesting to me is you know you could all you can always kind of you know if you need to get three or four yards you can always kind of run behind you know banks and williams and you pretty be pretty sure that you you know if trent's gonna win and i think having him on the same side kind of helps banks be a better player. But um, that just was not the case today. And I like you, I concur that we just got dominated on both sides of the ball. And that's where it started. You know, I knew we were in trouble when Alexander Madison is running, is is, um, breaking off big chunk runs, which just doesn't happen to the 49ers. Yeah. We don't have anybody, you know, if there's one thing that's for sure is we're going to be able to control um, against most teams. We're going to be able to control their run game. But, you know, the Vikings, you know, they had it just about whatever they wanted on offense. It was what? It was like damn near, I know it was at least 400 yards. Um well, Kirk Cousins damn near had 400 yards all by himself. Yeah, Cousins um, had 378, yeah, so, and the the uh, running game had 74. So they had 450. So 425. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. I mean that 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 I can't remember the last time. Well, I I guess it was the Chiefs. Yeah, last year around this time that a team. Well, you know, throwing out that the um, Eagles game that doesn't really count. But um, it's been a long time since the team has done us like that. So here, here's another thought that I had as I was watching this game, which is you really it, – it, it is amazing to me how a team like the Chiefs, how the Brady – New England Patriots, how the 
you know, 80s and in, in, in early 90s, 49ers. You could even take the Cowboys from, from that time frame, though those teams were just so much more talented than all the other teams. The ability to stay on top because I don't, I, I, I wish there would be, there was a way to measure this. But after the first five games, Niners go five and oh, you, you see that game on Sunday Night Football where we dominate Dallas. And I kind in my head, I thought, well, everybody is now going to really, really dig into the tape to find out, okay, what are some of the things we can do to slow Brock Purdy down? And to me, what Minnesota did, and I don't think it's that different from what the other, the other uh, teams are doing, is they just go, okay, we're going to try and stop the run, and then we're going to give Brock the opportunity for us to, uh, you know, to beat us. And I'm not saying that that was necessarily the best, you know, the best game plan or whatever. And maybe it wasn't even the game plan. It's just what kind of what I can see on the television. You know, they, they were not going to let McCaffrey uh, run, you know, run for a hundred yards to that. Just, they just were not going to allow that. And so what happens is, is, you know, Brock is is getting back. And, and for three quarters, I thought Brock played some pretty darn good football. And then late in the game, they just relied on their ability to uh, get to him, rush him a little bit. And you saw both interceptions were on. I'm not even sure that he needed to throw those balls at that time. As far as the pass rush is concerned, it seemed like, that was just the play that he wanted, especially with the first interception uh, in, in the fourth. He he threw it a little bit too early for Jennings, and then that safety was just sort of sitting. He was almost like he was just waiting for th- This is the ball I've been waiting for all game long. I'm just going to sit in this spot. Brock's not throwing over the top of where I am, and that's where I'm going to sit. And then the, the last play of the game for the Niners, you know, Brock has to step up a little bit. And, and the, he was doing something that you and I have been begging him to do, which is use his feet. And I thought he did a great job doing that. But then he makes that ill-advised throw. And, and Rick called it out in the chat right now about basically what I'm, what I'm going to say. Brock turned into Jimmy G in the fourth quarter. And this is the stuff that we would get on Jimmy G about, which is when it's time to make a play, you know, more often than not, the defense could move him and make him not make that play. And that that seemed like Brock in, in that fourth quarter. He turned into Jimmy G. And it was just unfortunate because, like I said, I thought for three quarters, Brock had himself a pretty darn good football game, missing Debo. You know, I don't know. Who knows how, how good CMC really was? I mean, he was playing his butt off, I thought, for, for being injured. Trent not being there, we felt that they. I think they tried to run to that side one time, and and Christian got drilled for like a minus three yards or something. So, not not to make an excuse, everybody's missing their guys. That you know, Minnesota's missing Justin Jefferson, who's one of the best receivers in football. So, I just think now everybody has at least somewhat of a resemblance of a game plan that kind of sort of works against the Niners. The Browns showed it last week. Minnesota showed it this week. And really, it's up to Kyle and company to figure out the offensive piece. Uh, but more so, you know, I don't. I, I literally don't know what the problem is with the defense. And you talked about the narrative. 
the reason the Steve Wilkes narrative exists is because deep down you don't want to admit that Bosa is not able to get to the quarterback for whatever reason. You don't want to admit that Mooney Ward on an island, they were kind of picking on him. You know, you don't want to admit that, uh, you know, Hufunga is excellent when he can, when, you know, when he's in the box and he's stepping up to stop the run. But if he's not hitting on those blitzes, it's like, uh-oh, you got to hit those or else we're, you know, we're one guy in coverage less and they just didn't get there. So all of these things is to stay. When you are on top, you are on that pedestal, the only place to go is down. And all of these teams look at the Niners and they go, we want to be where they are. And they're doing their damnedest to, you know, put a chink in that armor. And two weeks in a row, not only did they get outplayed, but I just feel like the other teams just had a really good idea of what they needed to do to win. And they were able to put that, put that game plan in and follow it. And the Niners didn't really do anything, especially defensively to, to stop it. I mean, to lose to, uh, you know, to PJ last last week, this, there was some fluky stuff involved, but Kirk looked like the best quarterback in the NFL tonight. And some of that was their defense. He, we know who Kirk is. Kirk is a good quarterback in this league. He is not all pro. He was all pro tonight. Yeah, well, I think it, it simply comes down to your initial point. If you don't heat somebody like Kirk Cousins up, we saw it. We saw it earlier this year. Didn't we? Didn't end up losing that game. But if you just sit back, if you let Matt Stafford sit back there without anybody in his face, he's going to throw for four hundred yards. I mean, he and and Kirk Cousins is another one of those kind of guys that if he's not worried about you hitting him, you're going to be in for a long night. <laughs> so, yeah, that that is a problem. And that's what I what I saw. You know, I again, I'm no defensive schematic guru, but I it just felt to me in the moment that we weren't getting any pressure with with all four, and I with with the front four, and as a fan, I would you know I don't want him to just sit there and get us killed, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. You you know, plus when you know that that is his um, forte anyway, he is an aggressive play caller anyway. And it just seemed to me that, you know, it just made sense to me that we're not able, we're not getting it done with these, you know, with just the front four. And we, you know, we talk about our coverage if you want to, but again, it's just the defense from way back is just not set up to let quarterbacks sit back there for three or four seconds. We have to get pressure for this whole thing to work. It's, our team is just not built. We don't have, we're not the Ravens. We don't have four guys back there that we can put in man coverage and just lock people up. That's just not what we do. And if we're not getting pressure, it's a problem. Um, so he attempted to get pressure. And oftentimes we just didn't get there, um, which, again, is, you know, I, I'm i low to, to, like, criticize coaches for um, 
Because ultimately, I think the dudes on the field decide what happens. And I didn't see anything that – and you rarely see in the NFL, in my experience, see coaches just putting their teams in horrible positions based on their play calling that, you know, I didn't see anything today, tonight, that I said, wow, um, even if everybody, if all 11 had played their responsibilities perfectly, we didn't have a chance to win because of the way, uh, because of the scheme or the play that he called. I could point to three, on every play, you could point to three or four places where guys just didn't do their job. Um, and ultimately, I just think that's what football is, is those guys, they, you know, now sometimes coaches don't necessarily put their teams in the best position to win, but <laughs> I don't think he, you know, set them up to fail either. Um, I thought he called, and I'm one, again, who believes that it's good to have somebody dispassionately making decisions because defense can be such an emotional um it can be such an emotional thing and from what i saw in training camp holland and kokorik have do a, a very good job of getting those dudes fired up it i i don't see that as an issue and I didn't really even see that in the game that I felt like oh these dudes just look flat that wasn't my read on it I saw a bunch of missed tackles I saw a bunch of coverage breaks and then I saw dudes that could not you know hold guys off on the offensive line and dudes that couldn't weren't getting off blocks um you know on the defensive line you know, it's a that those are the things that I think we need to address before we start blaming the coaches. It has to start with the players, I think. That's just what that's that's how I see it. The Niners have an issue with uh whoever's on the other side of Bosa still. From what I understand, I, obviously it's not something we can see, but I don't know if it was Barrows or Kawakami or my Mayoko. They said that in the beginning of the game, Drake Jackson was just getting manhandled. And so I think they just literally just took him out of the game. Uh, but, you know, with this trade deadline coming up in a week, you know, we'll see if it, what they're doing. They already got Gregory. Uh, I saw him, you know, kind of moving into the inside a little bit. Uh, but he he's a little, he, not that he's a small man. He's obviously not a small man, but... Mm-hmm they were able to handle him except for that one where he just used his athleticism and his speed to get inside and to get close to Kirk. But the pat, the pass rush isn't there. The other thing was, and, and this is what was so smart about Minnesota's game plan, knowing that the Niners were going to be a little bit over-reliant on the blitz. All of a sudden they're pulling out screen game. You yeah. utilizing the Niners over aggressiveness against them, you know, screen. They even threw uh this one had to come back, but they threw the wide receiver pass, the wide receiver screen. Uh, there was some really deep and, you know, long play actions that Niners kind of had to pause on and then 
you know, he was able to sit back there, you know, deep in the pocket and, and sort of figure out who he wanted to throw with. So I just thought, man, you know, football, I know it's just this big chess game and I know it's just, you know, you got to be one step ahead of the other team and stuff. And, but I just wanted to, you know, give kudos to the Vikings for just taking advantage of what the 49ers can do. Because when you cannot, when you cannot rush a passer and you know, Wilkes is, is a blitzer that they, they, they were figuring it out when it was happening or right before it was happening and calling the perfect play to beat a blitz. I just thought, man, you know, I can't even be mad. Like these guys are just figuring this stuff out as the Niners are not. And the Niners are, are a half a step behind. So, you know, they, they got to clean that stuff up. And offensively, I couldn't tell. Was it the crowd noise? Like what was up with the delay of game stuff where Shanahan's having to burn timeouts Purdy's getting up to the line and they're snapping with one second left. I, I'm assuming it was crowd. Uh, the crowd sounded pretty loud, but I, it didn't sound any louder than a normal away game. Uh, but yeah, you know, Shanahan, you see him again, you know, those two weeks in a row where this dude is just yelling at people, stomping around, frustrated. So something's not happening right in that huddle for what he wants. And I know his, you know, I, I gave this long sort of, uh, you know, narrative or, or pitch about what I thought was wrong. Shanahan w- was quite short with his uh, three turnovers and a missed field goal. There's your game. That's all he said. So, uh, I mean, that that you could also say it like that. The CMC fumble when they looked like they were going to score another easy touchdown and then the two interceptions and then uh, money-making Mitch, or not money-making Mitch, uh, Jake Moody uh, missed you know, not a, a not very hard field goal, though he did make a deep one when they needed it. So, yeah, those are missed opportunities. And I guess if you are Shanahan and you are thinking offensively, yeah, if you're thinking offensively, those that's money that should have been in the bank. And because of the the errors, they weren't. And maybe that's just the way you look at it. You don't look at at the you know giving up 450 yards to the Vikings. You look at it as like, yeah, we played poorly and. We should have still won the game in his eyes. So it could be maybe it is just as easy as that. But if we if we just said that, this podcast would have been five minutes long. So we have to find mm-hmm. something else to talk about. Um, all right. Uh, another thing, and I want to get your thoughts on this. When it comes to the deficiencies uh, of a season, now when when you when you and I got together in the off season and then or during training camp, we said, okay, here are the things that we're a little bit worried about. Having a rookie kicker, the secondary a little bit, and this this offensive line depth. I, I think all of the teams who play against 49ers go, okay, here are their deficiencies. Rookie kicker, offensive line depth, and and you know, secondary. And man, they those got exposed even worse, I thought, in this game than in the Cleveland game. Uh, do you think, I mean, can some of those things be worked out just during the season? Or do you think they're going to have to make some moves to shore up some things before this trade deadline? Yeah, I I don't, I don't see how you fix the offensive line um, without bringing in better players. I, I just, you know, you I, you're going to get Trent back. Which, like I say, I said earlier, you know, puts a lot of deodorant on a lot of stuff. 
I mean, he is just that impactful. But other than that, I mean, this the right side is just a problem. And I mean, at a certain point, I, I just think it's foolhardy to think that, you know, Burford is a talented dude, but he continues to just, you know, it's like he has some kind of brain lock or something where it, there, there's times where he just get beat. He gets beat in ways that don't belie his physical talent. People shouldn't be just running over the top of him the way it happens. Um, I mean, and I, I understand those guys are athletic as well and they get paid as well. But um, at a certain point, you know, it. the question has to be asked, is he just not good? I mean, <laughs> that that's the question. Mm-hmm. And then um, McKivitz is kind of like what was advertised. He is an upgrade over McClinchy as a pass blocker, but a two steps or three steps down downgrade as a run blocker. Um, it, it's just, you know, and again, he, like Mitch, in a way, he's a really big dude that is just going to have a hell of a time with speed rushers. I mean, it's just, it's hard for those dancing bears to, um, you know, if a guy lines up, you know, two yards outside of him and I, we're just, I'm just going to try to run past you. It's hard for those dudes to kick step and, um, get back there. It's just, it's difficult. So I don't know if they can fix that part. Then you get into the question of how much are you willing to spend if you want to go out and you talk about somebody like Daniil Hunter or Brian Burns, who I, I still don't believe those dudes. I mean, obviously I believe they could help, but I just look at the way our cap is structured, I I don't see how those things would be anything more than rentals. And then the question becomes, how much do you spend for some, you know, for someone who's going to be here for three months when, I don't know, I, maybe I'm completely off base, but it just seemed to me at the time when they cleared that $40 million in cap space, the fact that the the numbers almost matched up identically, where we now have this um, overage this year, and we have this shortfall next year, it just seemed to me that those moves were made to give this group a two year window to mm-hmm. open up that because that was the question during training camp was that. We're going to, you know, we're going into next season in a a very dire cap situation and decisions are going to have to be made. Well, they made the decisions to Jed put up the cash and he paid dudes a bunch of bonus money Mm -hmm. and they cleared that cap space so that now we're we're good with this team. I mean, obviously. we could be in a position if he wanted to play hardball, we have to um, extend IU. But if, if um, 
Nick is any indication the 49ers are willing to just let him play out, you know, or go into his fifth year. Um, so that so that's not even a huge issue. So then the question becomes, like I said, if, if you go after somebody like Daniil Hunter or Brian Burns, I mean, I think those are the two things that are realistic. Cause I just, I steadfastly believe that a package for um, somebody, if, if Patrick Satain becomes available, I just don't think we can, I think there are other teams out there that can put together better packages than we can because you're because even if the 49ers decided, I believe that they were going to go all in for him and give up the first round pick. Cause I think it's going to take two or three first round picks and then other stuff to pry him away from the Broncos. Cause I mean, he's on a rookie contract. They just keep him. They don't, they, they, he's a 23 year old all pro player on a rookie deal. You you're gonna have to blow them away. They can just keep him. There's no they're they're under no. Um, they don't have to trade him. Um, so you're gonna have to blow their doors off. And I just don't think because even if you look at a team like the 49ers, if you think they're gonna be good, their first round picks aren't even really that good. Especially if you you know if you think about and you talk about this in the NBA a lot, where when you trade for a guy like. Patrick Satan, you are devaluing those picks that you just acquired because he's going to make the team better. So, you know, you see that in, like I say, the NBA is where you, you see it a lot, where when you, know, you trade, you know, a superstar player to a team for a bunch of picks, I meaning those picks have to be way far out for them to even make sense. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if I trade Damian Lillard to – the um bucks guess what these near-term picks aren't going to be very good because they're going to be up towards the top of the league um so yeah i just don't see that as as a viable solution but those pass rushers i'm sure they can be had if the niners are willing to put enough chips on the table to do that but are they really in a position to then sign those dudes i don't see it so then again like i say the circular so we're now we're talking about a rental and how much do you do you you know i get pushing all your chips into the center of the table if you believe that um this is our um best chance of winning then you know I guess you say screw that cap space for next year if you can do something that demonstrably makes this team better. But you know, as we see, no f them picks is a you know it's a slippery slope. <laughs> and again, if you win a championship, I know something it. Brian Windhorst says all the time that if you win a championship, everything is worth it. Um, and he's probably right. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I guess it just depends on, um, when they, you know, self scout and take a good hard look at their team, they really believe that we aren't a, we, we can't get where we want to go 
unless we make one of those big moves. Because you see, Philly, they are, they seem to be all in. Yep. Um, <laughs> they, they had a taste Julio, last year. They brought in, yeah, I mean, they brought in um, the cat from the Titans, the safety from the Titans. They don't, they are effing picks, it seems like. <laughs> so I don't know if, if, if we believe that it's, a, if they believe it's an arms race, and if they have to make a big, we obviously Lynch, we saw last year is not scared um, to do what he feels like he needs to do to improve his team. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't even know if those two guys, I know Brian Burns is good and Daniel Hunter is, is having a great season, but I don't know if that is just um, contract year situation or what who did he but, beat um, who did he beat on the brock uh sack because he blew um, guys some they only rushed three guys and he got the sack it was the right side so i couldn't see whether or not he was lined up outside mcglinchy or if he was in the gap over there but it was either burford or mckivitz i want to i want to say it was mckivitz because the guy who at least the guy who was trying to push him after getting beat? What was a white dude? So I think it was McKivitz. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He, no, I mean, he, yeah, he'd be. He he'd looked be, really good tonight. He'd be great, but you know, if you're the Vikings and you know you just beat a team that you know a lot of folks kind of think are one of the is one of the best teams in the league, and you've kind of moved your your record up a little bit. You're now three and four. The, the Lions have kind of showed that, you know, they're not mm-hmm. superhuman. Uh, the Packers and the Bears within your division uh, are probably not going to do very much. So if you're the Vikings, you know, maybe you think you do have a shot to. to and then, and then, that, then that takes the Niners. Uh, you know, do, is there a gamesmanship type situation where, you know, you, you want to extract a huge um premium to trade him here um, if even if you decide to like you say or you know you, you look at the top of your division and say i don't or for real and then you know what do we gain by trading him at that point yeah. we might as well just go ahead and ride the hot streak that he's on and just keep him so so yeah. the uh the niners are now five and two. Their their counting stats still look really good at five and two. Mm-hmm. They've still only given up a hundred and nine points in the seven games. And when it comes to the rest of the teams in the NFC, only two teams have given up less than the Niners. That is the Cowboys, and that is the Buccaneers. But those teams have only played six games and the Niners have played seven games. So still, from a points against perspective, at least in, in, the, in the NFC, they look fine. And from a scoring perspective, they are still the leading scoring offense uh, points for in the NFL. So if you looked at it that way, you're like, man, you know, it, it shouldn't be too terrible. But after these last two games, I think Niner fans probably feel a little bit like, you know, w- w- was this a little bit of a mirage? Are we really, 
as good as we were? Are we really as bad as we've been the last few games? Here's what I'll say, which is the Bengals come to town. Now, I think the were the Bengals on a bye this week? Yes. The Bengals were on a bye, so oh, they're gonna they? be I think they were. Uh, I'll I'll look at I'll I'll look it up here mm-hmm. in in a second. But um if you if you are Yes, because that was a that was a factoid that somebody had put out there that like three of the four next teams that the 49ers play are coming off of bye weeks. So yeah, I think they were. And you have an opportunity. You're back home. You are undefeated at home so far. And you need to take care of business for sure. The Bengals are always going to be serviceable because of who they have behind the center and because of uh, of Jamar Chase. But you need to win that game. I mean, this is at home. You're coming off of two terrible losses. You kind of need to rewrite the ship. You got to win that game. And then you yourself are able to be on bye. And then the next game, the very next game after the bye, the Jaguars, the five and two Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm going to put an asterisk by some of the, uh, some, some of the Jaguar, uh, ja- uh, the Jaguars victories. Cause they get to hang out in London. These teams got to fly up there and play them. That's not really fair. <laughs> it's like the best home field advantage of all time. So, yeah. uh, but that is, you know, if you're the Jaguars, you're like, oh, you know, we actually have some success. What if we are as good as the team who was in the NFC title game last year? So th- it's all about these teams are going to be, you know, puffing out their chests and seeing like, you know, can we play with these guys? And, you know, if we upset these guys, then all of a sudden that tells us we're the real deal. So some really good games coming up and I'm circling November 23rd. Because Mm -hmm. absolutely Seattle doing what Seattle does four and two right now. They won again this week. Uh, They beat the Cardinals, you know, not impressively or anything, but that is going to be a a test to me to really prove who, you know, when it comes to the toughness, because, you know, we've been saying, oh, they're just tougher than Dallas. And then they beat Dallas. And then you get out tough two weeks in a row. And you're like, okay. And so it's really, you got this week, you got the bye week, you got the Jaguars matchup to real, to, to tell me how good is this team? Because the game I'm circling is two weeks after that Jaguars game, which is the Seahawks, because it could be a game that has some elements of, uh, you know, meaning something in that division, especially yeah. if we, you know, that's as a, we go into the middle of the season. That's a tough stretch. We get Seattle. Philadelphia, Seattle, three weeks in a row. That I mean, I you know I don't think it's too much hyperbole to say that that um you know that's our season right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we I I don't see how we can you know again I guess that like I got said I'm I know it's hyperbole as I'm saying it, but you know coming out of that stretch two and one or zero oh and three would be disastrous mm-hmm. when you talk about again which we talked about we talked about i know we talked about it in the preseason that um if i had to choose you know the last couple of years we started off like two and three if i had to choose i'd rather start off two and three 
and then be getting better as the season yeah. rolls on than to right. start, you know, five and zero, and then five and two, and then have a you know a three game losing streak um, heading into December. That you know, I that's like the you know the worst case scenario is to be trying to right the ship, you know, headed into Christmas. Um, you want to be playing your best football. You don't want to be sitting around trying to figure stuff out <laughs> at that point of the season. So that's going to be a huge stretch for us. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously at four and two, Seattle's feeling frisky, I bet. So, yeah. you know, that's going to be, and then, the Eagles, of course, you know, that goes without saying. Um, that's going to be another um, league-wide marquee matchup. So, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. And it is gonna, it, it really is going to be interesting to see what Lynch thinks. If he believes that we had, that the team that he has built um, is good enough or if he thinks he needs to go out there and make another you know, seismic move, you know, and, and again, you know, somebody like Brian Burns or Dale Hunter is not, you know, it's a, that's a different scale of move than, you know, swapping picks to get Randy Gregory. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that kind of deal, I don't think that kind of um, draft capital gets it done. Honestly, you're not going to be able to, again, it, to me, it doesn't make any, why would Carolina just give Brian Burns away. If, if there are no cap repercussions at this point, he's been that money is gone. He's yep. a free agent at the end of this year. They what they paid him, they've paid him. The same thing with Hunter. I checked his. They're not going to realize any huge cap benefit by trading them. So then it becomes it comes down to. Um, if they decide to do it, it is an asset play. So then, you know, I, you know, they aren't, these teams aren't here to be our feeder team. Mm-hmm. They are going to try to um, make the best deal possible for them. And I just don't, I, I don't know. I mean, are the 49ers, do you, do you trade a, um, a for, do you put a first round pick on the table? Um, for somebody like Brian Burns, and if your Carolina is a first-round pick from the 49ers, is that, you know, it, do you value that the same as a first-round pick from somebody pick a team like the Cardinals? I mean, I know the Cardinals aren't trading, you know, a, a pick at the top of the draft, but you know, you know what I'm saying? If it's somebody who is a middling team, um, why do it? But then it becomes like, if you're a middling team, you know, why you wouldn't do it unless you think that that kind of move puts you over the top. I guess somebody, a team like Seattle or um, pick a team, the, the, the Eagles, I guess. I mean, they, they're strong on the defensive line, but, you know, the Jaguars, those type of teams um who might think that they're just they are just a player away um those are the type of teams i mentioned them because those are the type of teams that the 49ers are competing against um to to make an offer that is going to you know 
trump their offer so it'll be it's going to be i think the trade deadline this year is going to be it's going to be really interesting to see if these teams are really looking to move off those players it kind of makes sense for a team like carolina uh i mean they could use draft assets. It doesn't make as much sense to me. They don't, they don't have a first this year, from what I understand. No, because they traded. Yeah, that's right. They traded their pick to the Bears. So, yeah, they're probably trying to maneuver some stuff if, if they're going to get rid of one of their better players. Okay, uh, real quick, uh, Rick had a question about if we were surprised that CMC was active. I After I heard last week... Uh, actually, yeah, it was last week when, when they sort of diagnosed him in the middle week, midweek, and they said, it's just sort of pain tolerance. Like mm-hmm. that, that's what the injury is for him is pain tolerance. And I said, okay, he's definitely going to play. And I mentioned this in my little preview episode in, in the podcast feed, which is how would they use him? And, you know, would they kind of use use his gravity a bit to open up some other things and I think that definitely happened. I think he carried the ball uh and he was used a lot more than I thought he was. Like I thought we were going to see a little bit more of Mitchell. And Mitchell did did he even get a carry? I don't even think he got a carry in this game. So, you know, Shanahan was 100%. At one point, I think Joe Buck said that CMC had played every offensive snap of the game, which was, and now that now Rick, I was surprised about that. I thought they were going to utilize a a little bit different uh, two back or whatever. And, you know, maybe try and see if they could get a little, uh, you know, inside run game going with Mitchell, but maybe it was just because they knew that the other team knew that uh, their offensive line was going to kind of be, uh, a fraud in this game without the best player. So maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, you, you know, there's there's always games within the game. And like I said earlier, the chess matches of why. Uh, if we if I had a press pass, uh, I would have probably asked uh, Shanahan, you know, was there was there an idea to use, you know, your other running backs to get to 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 get CMC off the field a little bit and to change up the offense a little bit. But the, obviously, he thought that that was the best way for them to win the game was to have Christian in the game the whole time, or else he wouldn't have had, he wouldn't have done that. I just don't think that those other options provide the versatility that Christian does, and I think that with Debo out, because Debo does yeah. Debo, if you if you you know spell McCaffrey and you put Debo back there in the backfield, it's the same thing. I mean, you you have created a matchup problem that teams have to account for. I just don't think, I don't know, Mitchell just has not looked right to me all season. Um, he just looks, you said it on several occasions, and I think you're right, he just looks slow. Yeah, he um, looks really so, slow. So I don't, you know, and I'm not willing to just give up on it because we've seen it before. We've seen it where guys come back from injury and then it takes them, you know, a full season to come back and be their old explosive selves. So I'm I, I'm not like saying we should just move off of him, but I think it is clear at this point that TDP and JP do not provide the team with the versatility 
that you know Christian does, which I mean, obviously he's the best player in the league. But I think it just like with Mitchell to a, a lesser extent is that when you put those dudes back there, it's like you're almost like you're tipping what's going to happen. It, you know, they're you know if you're putting them in there, you put them in there to run the ball. You know that, and that's it. You know, yeah. so you can you know especially if you're not dominating guys up front like you're not, not when Trent is out there unless so you decide you know when Trent is all right we're gonna run them but guess what we're gonna run to the left so you know what so I was I was thinking so, like yeah. a, a previous Niner offense would go yeah we're gonna run you know we're gonna run and we're gonna do it anyways just because that's kind of how yeah. we set everything else up and that they don't that was really Jim, do that anymore. Yeah. That was Jim Harbaugh's whole thing. Is that you know, <laughs> I'm we're that's this is what we're gonna do. And yeah. you you're get, try to stop us. And between, you know, guys like Staley and Potty and all those guys, and then you put Frank Gore back there, yeah, it's you know, good luck. I mean, if yeah. you even if you know what's coming, good luck. Exactly. All right, last thing here before we get out of here. Um Honest assessment of Brock Purdy here. Two games in a row where they do not come away with a victory. And in some part, uh, because of his play. Now, I think today he was much better than he was last week. Even uh, Shanahan. Shanahan said, you know, really, it's only that first interception he threw that he thought was just you know a bad throw or whatever but otherwise he thought he played really well um you know the the timeliness of those interceptions were 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 pretty poor though so ultimately uh where do we sit now here five and two obviously much a little much different than five and oh and beating the cowboys on national tv uh you and i have the benefit of not thinking that brock was the next coming, you know, the next one coming. Not that I was hope, not that I wasn't hoping that that was the case. It was, there's just certain things that I see from him. A lot of air underneath his ball today too, interestingly. Um, But it didn't hurt them because he, he was so accurate. But after seven games, five and two, I think at the beginning of the season, we would have taken this and said, yep, I love it. Let's go five and two after seven. We're in good position. Uh, wh- where do you sit with Brock right now? Look, like you said, I have, you know, I never thought, I, I, I've i said all along that I think comparisons to Brady and Montana are absolutely ridiculous and unfair. Um, so I, I didn't have those expectations. And also, I didn't believed that he was going to go undefeated in his career and that his passer rating was going to be 103 um, for the rest of his career. So (laughs) I, those weren't my expectations. And, you know, I thought Troy made a good point about with a guy like Brock, um, he is so reliant on timing and anticipation that if he is off or the receiver gets rerouted, he can, you know, that's what happens. Like that first interception is you can get some really bad 
looking throws if anything is off. If like if the receiver is not where he is expecting him to be or, you know, so and you just, you know, that's something we can never know. We can never know if the the receiver is wrong or the quarterback is wrong. But if he is not right, you end up throwing it directly to a defender. Um, so I didn't really see there was nothing that, you know, I didn't think he was terrible. He definitely was way better than he was last week. He was just he was just bad last week. And I don't think that it's a I don't understand why 49er fans have such a hard time saying that it's not I don't think that it's a referendum yeah, it's, on not an indi- it's not an indictment of oh you know this is this is just a fake thing by saying that no, he, played bad last he was just bad he was he was bad he was objectively bad um but you can the weather the pressure there were lots of reasons for why he was bad but the fact of the matter is he was bad. I don't think that he was, I thought he was much better this week. I love, because we've talked about this previously. I love the fact of kind of trying to unlock him and have him be a threat Mm -hmm. with his legs because he clearly has the, the aptitude to do it, but again, I we I think we kind of sussed that out a couple weeks ago. That you know, it probably does make while he could probably do it. There's no doubt he can do it. Yeah. But is is the juice worth the squeeze? Do you want to put him in a position where he's taking hits as a runner? And you probably don't because yeah. I you know I'm not. I'm not raising my hand. I don't really want to see Sam Darnold play personally. Yeah. So if if we have to keep Brock under wraps and keep that part of his game under wraps until we get to some more higher leverage or higher staked stakes situations, then I'm all for that. But I thought that this was a game and he, you know, he got that big long run. Um, early. Yeah, seventeen yards. I, I, I just, think. I just, yeah, I just think that 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 we're kind of leaving money on the table, um, not considering that more. But I also, I, I I'm of two minds. I I don't really, you know, because it would it would suck if he were to get hurt again you know, rushing the ball. But again, I can say I'm of two minds. It, hell, he's a football player. He could get hurt yeah. in the pocket. Yeah. So if you think that, you know, getting him out on the edge and doing some, you know, RPO type stuff where you don't even have to run. Like you see with Pat, with um Patrick Mahomes, here I am comparing him. To one of the <laughs> but when you see with, with Patrick Mahomes, he rarely runs with the RPs, the, the RPO stuff. He has it in his pocket, and he clearly can do it, but mm-hmm. it just opens things up because you have to honor the run. You have to honor the fact that he can run, and oftentimes what happens is linebackers come up. 
and you know they create voids and guys are able and i think that that is definitely part that is a part that could be a part of brock's game is that if you're creating openings by rolling him or having him threaten the um he did that today i don't even remember he completed the pass but he kind of threatened the um line of scrimmage and then through and it was like that's perfect that those are the type of plays that um i'd like to see more of and to explore yep. more of um with him just to you know kyle does an excellent job i'm not saying i'm saying kyle does an excellent job of and here this will be a criticism you know <laughs> in the wrong hands of giving him excellent looks i mean he really really does a good job of defining you know, Brock's reads and giving him um, defined places to go. And that's not to say that, you know, when you couple that with Brock's anticipation and timing and accuracy, it's just like a perfect, you know, it's like a match made in heaven. I think, I just think that I said it already. I think we leave, we're leaving money on the table by not exploring that more. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, one of the things that a good offensive play caller is going to do, he's going to play to his quarterback strengths. Thankfully, in this case, his quarterback is uh, good at processing information quickly and generally making uh, the right decision. And Kyle's uh, game planning helps him make that decision because he could just gets guys open. Uh, sometimes guys get so open that, and we saw this with Jimmy a lot too, which is you go to that first read so quickly because mm-hmm. it's there. And sometimes there is a guy who's even more wide open down the mm-hmm. field, but you're just so like, this is where I'm going with this, with this throw. So. And he's um, not, and you know, like we just say, I, I used to always say with Jimmy, he's not wrong for taking that, you know, that, um that found money. He's yep. not wrong for it, but there were times We've talked about it before. There were times when he would take that money, but you'd have guys running free, Jennings, and I can remember a couple of times with Kittle where they're just wide-ass open in the end zone. But, you know, Jimmy had already made up his mind. And I I don't think that Brock is that kind of player that I think he can – I think he, he, he is such a good processor that he sees everything. He just makes – determination and he does such a good job of just playing within himself mm-hmm. that um it's you know I, I that's why that that first interception i i just he does such a not to say that he can't make mistakes i have a tendency to believe that you know jennings got rerouted and he just wasn't where brock was um anticipating him being he because because we just have not seen Brock make just horrible decisions no. with the football. He usually is right on point. He knows where he's going with the ball and he knows where everybody else is supposed to be. So I have the tennis. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt on that first one that um somehow, and I'm saying I'm not faulting Jennings because Troy said that it looks like Jennings got rerouted. He was trying to get somewhere and the defender made a play 
and kept him from getting to the spot that he wanted to get to. So, I mean, that's good. Just good defense. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right. Last thing. And this is a little cheeky, but uh, I, I think I re- I figured out why Bosa's off to such a slow start. He is one of the male uh, models in Kim Kardashian's uh, new uh, sk- I think it's called Skims, her 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 uh, underwear line or something. All of a sudden, okay. I'm on I'm on Instagram, and I see a shirtless and pantsless Bosa on <laughs> on, on Kim's page, just wearing some some tight uh, some tight underwear, some tight uh, like uh, boxers. I don't know, man. He's 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 a, he's signed that big deal. Now he's hanging out with Kim K. I love Kim K, by the way. You know, she 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 figured out how to make her money. But I, mm, <laughs> I I I don't I don't hate on Kim Kardashian, but um the Kim Kardashian curse is real though. So I hope Of that, course, um, of course is, Shelvin knew. Shelvin knew. He said he, his he wife is telling him. I hope he I hope he's just a spokesman and there's not anything more than that because the Clippers can tell you about um <laughs> how the Kardashian curse um is nothing to fool with. Anybody remember any, yeah, anybody remember Miles Austin? Anybody? <laughs> Miles? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, although I mean, you know. Travis Kelsey has leveled up. Oh yeah. Know, and and um, did you so, did you see did you see Taylor Swift and uh Patrick Mahomes' wife trying to do like a a special handshake uh, in the booth? In the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I'm gonna let me give Taylor a little bit of advice here. You, you're gonna get uh the benefit of the doubt on the lack of rhythm with that handshake. Just ask LeBron. Like LeBron is the master of the of the mm-hmm. handshake. You'll figure it out. You'll get a good one, and and you'll be good. Yeah, because they, 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 fifteen you know, teammates, fifteen <laughs> different handshakes. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you you can be off and off rhythm and miss each other and do all that stuff the first time. But you got to you got to clean it up for the next time. We expect you to clean it up. All right, we're done. We're done here. Uh, unfortunate uh, last two podcasts have been. A, a, a little bit. <laughs> Rick is mad at me because I'm a fan of Kim K. I, Kim Kim K has, you know, she's just been around <laughs> for a long time. I don't, I don't get. I'm not mad at her uh, for for her success. She figured it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I respect her hustle. Shout out to Ray J. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, <laughs> Chris Humphreys. <laughs> um, it sucks that you know these last two games uh we've had to be a little bit more negative but at the same time you know if they were just to win all these games and and they build up this kind of suit of armor and you kind of you're not sure where the difficulties or where the um negativities are on the team and in this case uh like kind of like what rod was saying earlier I would rather have these issues now than, you know, as we get to week 14, 15, 16. So it is something that, you know, if Shanahan and the coaching staff, part of this season of being great is also for these coaches to figure out some solutions to the problems as well. So um, I am looking forward to this weekend, see if they could bounce back. 
Joey Burrows is not going to be easy on them. Jamar Chase is not going to be easy on them. I'm sure they were watching this game very closely going like, hmm, I think we can do that. So it's up to Wilkes and, and the crew to kind of, you know, be ahead of that and and know what you are going, how you are going to be attacked. Uh, and that's two weeks in a row where I felt that, you know, the other team was very ready for, for the 49ers very and everything well they were going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll be back. I will have a midweek or probably on Friday, a little preview with, with the injuries and stuff. And then uh, just a, a quick update on what is going on for the rest of this week. Brad and I will be back Tuesday evening on YouTube. The audio will be up uh, Wednesday morning in the podcast feed talking about the giant search for a new manager. Could be Bob Melvin, former giant, uh, also Bruce Bochy, former back, A's manager, former A's manager. Uh, Bob Bob Melvin was on two of my favorite Giants teams ever, uh, 1986, 1987. He was Bob Brenly's backup, and um, and so and you know we're going to talk about Bruce Bochy getting back to the World Series. It was Bruce Bochy and Dusty Baker. I couldn't really root against anybody. I wanted to see both uh-huh. of those dudes do well, and we'll see. Uh, I know Shelvin is. I hate the Astros. <laughs> I love Dusty, Dusty Baker. So it's it's a it's a it's a um it's a it's a conundrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Shelvin, you know, he want he wants to see the D backs get to the World Series. So that is Game Seven. That will be happening as Brad and I record. Uh, Diamondbacks and Phil uh, Phillies uh, Game Seven, I believe, and then Tuesday night. Warriors and Sons, Brian and I will be back live on YouTube Tuesday night after that game. Unfortunately, one Draymond Green will not be playing. He's already been ruled inactive. So we'll see what happens. Who's going to guard KD? I really don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we would have guarded him all that well, even with Draymond there, because KD is just a problem. Uh, and then, uh, and then yeah, and then that will be the week. And then Rod and I will be back next week after... Bengals 49ers. So for Ron, oh, one, one, one moment. I don't, okay. I, I don't normally do this, but okay. you know, if you guys believe in energy or prayers or whatever it yes. is, my little transplant evaluation is tomorrow. So anything you can do for your boy, I would really appreciate it. Um, Cause I, you know, I want to get this organ. So, you know, look out for me. When you hit your knees at night or uh, whatever, lay, so, lay it out. What what is what's the deal right now? Um, I'm at you. I, I do my. You know, I've got I've got kidney disease. If you guys didn't know, uh, yeah. so I do I dialysis three days a week. Um, I'm listed at um, UCSF in the Bay Area, but their wait list is like eight years, and I'm like six years on the list, so it'll still be another two years. The wait list down here in Vegas is like two years. So with the time I with time served, I would like go right up to the top of the list. So I go tomorrow and I meet with the surgeon and all the people. And, um, you know, hopefully in the next two weeks, I'll be like listed. And then, um, my nephrologist is super, you know, she is super, um, positive and she's like, you know, you could have a kidney in like six to nine months if um, everything goes well. So from her lips to God's ears. So again, I'm super excited and, you know, kind of nervous, but um, yeah, I've been through this before, but he just, you know, there are no, there are never any guarantees, but yeah. I, I've 
worked on my health and I'm in like the best shape other than my kidney. I'm, I've never been in better shape. So I think I'm an ideal candidate. So we'll see. So wish me luck y'all. All right. You are in our thoughts. Send some good juju your way and good luck with everything and keep me updated. So yep. uh, I want to, I, I want to know what's going on and, and uh, yeah, that that's that, you know, on a, on a game like this where the team just doesn't look up to snuff, I'm glad that we can end on an optimistic outlook like that because we are rooting for you big time here. All right. For Rod, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.